Hey, fam, what's up? Welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman. Today, we are joined by Daniel Jones, the Kiwi sensation, who's just coming off an incredible victorious performance at the Tarawera 102K, punching his golden ticket to Western States while on home soil on the North Island of New Zealand. I mentioned this in the conversation, but I want to repeat it here. I am not exaggerating that probably 50 Kiwis and Aussies have messaged me on Instagram over the past 18 months, singing the praises of Dan and hyping his talent and potential as a trail athlete. Well, Tarawera was his breakout international performance, so it's a perfect time to have him on the pod and get to know him a little bit. We, of course, talk about his victory at Tarawera at length, uh, but we also go into his history with sport, his Kiwi heritage, his relationship and friendship with American legend Hayden Hawks, which is a great story. We talk about his training philosophy and his psychology looking ahead towards the Western States 100. It was great to get to know Dan. I trust you'll be Become big fans of his so make sure you give some love to this ascending star in the sport you can follow him on both instagram and strava i have links to both platforms in the show notes before we get to it of course i need to thank our presenting partner of the free trail podcast speedland the generous supporters of everything that we do here speedland are the makers of the gs tam my signature shoe and i am excited to report that the final quality control is now underway. Dave, in fact, is at the factory doing the production trial, and we will have news about the shipping dates very, very soon. Thanks everyone who has been waiting patiently, who's pre-ordered the GS Tam. We are working as quickly as possible to put these amazing shoes on your feet. And just like everything else that we do, we are not cutting corners here at the goal line to ensure the best possible finished product in my personal opinion the best trail shoe ever created again those who have pre-ordered thanks so much for your patience and your support in this process for those who haven't pre-ordered you can do so still use code free trail 10 for 10 percent off your order at runspeedland.com if you enjoy free trail consider joining free trail pro jump into slack the place to be for animated trail banter you actually do have to check it out to understand just how engaged and fun the interactions are in Slack. So come give it a try. Membership is only $10 a month or a deep discount for the annual subscription, which is $96 for the year. And we do have a free trial. So come get a taste. We would love to have you part of the community. There's a link in the show notes. Finally, if you need a coach, check out Free Trail Experts. Massive congratulations to our head coach and the leader of the team over there, Keely Henninger, for her win and course record performance at the Black Canyon 100K over the weekend. So, so cool, so impressive. There's a link in the show notes to see our coaching offerings to help you take your game to the next level. Enjoy the combo with Terrawera champion Daniel Jones. Thanks for tuning in. Daniel Jones, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. How are you, buddy? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Dylan. It's great to be here and reaching out to a different audience. Yeah, and uh, from the looks of it, you're. it's a beautiful day there. Are you still in Rotorua, North Island, New Zealand? Oh, I'm actually about an hour from um, Rotorua at the moment in Whakatane. 
it's it's where I grew up, born and bred, and yeah, my parents still live here, so it's really nice to be back and you know doing that post post race recovery stuff over here. It's we did have a bad weather event in New Zealand right now, and um, fortunately, Fakatani was it was missed, but uh, the rest of New Zealand is kind of suffering, so that's that's very sad to see. But yeah, for me, it's just kind of legs up at the moment, and um, while well, the sun's shining now, so hopefully things are getting back to normal. Yeah, just after the race ends, the sun comes out and it's a beautiful day, it looks like. And I do want to get more into your background and where you grew up and what childhood was like and your introduction to running, et cetera. But maybe first, since we're on the subject of recovery and, you know, Tarawera, of course, congratulations on a fantastic victory. Before we get into the details of the race itself, which we'll get into a little bit later, how is the the body and mind feeling after what is definitely the biggest, at least trail ultramarathon result of your career? Yeah, you're 100% there. It was a huge result for me. And no, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised about how the body's backed up. And, you know, within a day or two after the race, I was actually feeling like my legs and body were pretty good. Like I'm definitely not out running yet, but it's it's more the, the mind. I think that just the hammering of, you know, pushing yourself so hard for so long, it really takes its toll on the mind. And I couldn't sleep really maybe at night so much the night before the race and then definitely the night after the race i think that adrenaline and probably a bit of the caffeine that you consume out on course as well it was just like you know pumping through the body still so i didn't really sleep very well for that night and even the night after that so uh i was feeling a bit jaded but i'm really starting to come right now so that's a nice feeling i might get up or run today yeah we'll resist the temptation enjoy it celebrate the victory and yeah it's funny you know i've done tarawera twice myself and it always struck me as the perfect early season race and i always bounced back quickly physically from that event too because it feels like a forgiving course that doesn't necessarily have the same overwhelming stress of something like a utmb or a trans grand canaria or something like that so setting up for a really big season for you and we'll get into all those details here in a second but of course daniel you're going to be a new name to a lot of the free trail podcast listeners and i'm sure you made a lot of new fans over the weekend so Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about who you are as a person and how you got to where you are i wanted to start um with your your grandfather i read that your grandfather was kind of a stud of a runner 224 marathon from what i gather so maybe start there what influences did did he have on you growing up and and how has he sort of maybe informed your running career to this point oh mate you've done your research um well done there um yeah my my late grandfather ron jones he's i guess the the big runner of the family and started off that journey for um you know passed that on to onto my father my dad and um yeah he he himself was like pretty you know was a milkman of Fakatani actually and he he was not a professional I don't think they were professionals back then anyway but he got out and chased chased the marathon game and I competed in all kinds of events in New Zealand and, you know, won his fair share as well, getting a very um, commended, you know, 224 marathon when you've got a full-time job being the milkman when you're working most of the night then having to get out and train, you know, train in the morning and look after a, a, a big family as well. So um, he's the one that kind of probably started off the train and also my nana as well. She was like one of the first women joggers of Fakatane and probably in New Zealand as well and kind of started off that, helped start off that movement. 
and yeah my dad is big into the adventure racing game so or was especially um raced all throughout the world and through america you know um there's the events called like Eco Challenge and Primal yeah. Quest. They might not be so familiar with t- some of the listeners, but uh, big adventure races, especially back in the, the late 90s and the 2000s. And uh, yeah, he competed all over as a professional in that in that space. So definitely endurance is in the family and <laughs> it's, it's something that's certainly, I guess, been passed passed on to me and yeah. yeah it's just been it's awesome to have that kind of support network that kind of knows that that space as well because for sure my family uh, my mum my dad and my partner Michelle were all out um, support crew me on the weekend and they know exactly what's up with um, you know what's needed and that kind of motivation that they need to give to, to pass it on for each aid station yeah so I understand that your grandfather's no longer with us but that your mom and dad and greater extended family was there to witness your victory given the context of the multi-generational endurance success uh maybe give the audience a glimpse into what it was like celebrating that victory with your family after Terrawara last weekend yeah it was it's was just a special moment like i think every every trail running out there knows just that that uplift you get from you know, the support from your friends and family when you're out on course because it can be quite lonely even between the, the aid stations. There's a long aid station between uh, what they call yeah, the Green Lake and Lake Tikitapu, the Blue Lake, mm-hmm. and that was about 30K. So it feels like a drag. It does. And then you get to that aid station, they pump you up and they, they get you to the next one. And from there, it was like, you know, 25, 30K to go. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably get into, you know, a bit more deep delving into the actual race itself but yeah just seeing them at the finish line you know just (laughs) knowing that you've achieved something like pretty pretty big and as you said like a standout result for my career so far um hopefully big things to come but yeah it was just amazing sharing that um yeah we we you know did all the the normal formalities and you know it was awesome catching up with everyone after the race but then we just went back to my my sister's place in in Rotoro where we were staying and we just had like a a nice drink or you know margarita and or I mean, gin and tonic or whatever you know just yeah, some yeah. free drink and just hung out yeah, it was really nice yeah grandpa would be proud that's so cool yeah, and we'll, we'll talk more about that here in a bit but before we go off the subject of your background maybe just give us a glimpse into the personal side of things growing up it sounds like on the north island maybe just uh paint a picture of what your lifestyle was like growing up as a kid what was motivating to you what was interesting to you how did sport uh play a role in your life and and uh tell us how you got to where you are now yeah, I'd say I grew up in a fairly typical family. Actually, I'm not sure how it would compare the old Kiwi lifestyle compared to the to, to the US lifestyle growing up. But I I grew up in the countryside, so on a, my parents owned a kiwi fruit orchard. <laughs> Funnily enough, you know that's yeah. just a bit ironic, but that's just yeah how it was. And so basically, to get anywhere, we'd either you know bike into bike into town or it would basically use our own means of transport in, in the sense that like yeah it would be like running everywhere or 
biking or you know it'll just be soccer games on the weekends and then we had the local harrier club the running club which so it would be like a every saturday would be a soccer game in the morning then at 1 30 in the afternoon we'd go along to the to the running club and do our you know semi-competitive uh, running race yeah. which is always like you know so it's it's double training days when you're young <laughs> but it's just for fun yeah. right back then you know and so that was growing up and we're just big into the outdoors so big into the hunting so would you know my dad would take us out and he used to have pig dogs right so we'd go with the pig dogs and the dogs would chase the pigs and basically it was our job or my dad's job really I was just following along but would run up like as soon as you hear the dogs bailing after pigs you'd run up and you'd have to grab the pig like he would grab the pig and you know take it back and that was our dinner so you get good pork off the off the wild pigs in New Zealand it's actually very tasty yeah and um pretty good for you it's like you know, it's it's a good source of protein, and yeah, so we love we love that, and yeah, a bit of deer hunting as well, and a lot more deer hunting as I grew up, and that's again, we just did that as an awesome sense of just being out in the outdoors, um, gathering our own food, that kind of thing, and that's just kind of stuck with me, just walking around the hills, around the bush. I think that was just an awesome, awesome way to to get strong, yeah, for for one thing, but also you know, be out in the outdoors and you just. It's a it's a way you you're actually just spending a lot of time on the legs, just having fun doing it. So I I've I've just grown up doing that. I still kind of incorporate that into my training whenever I can um, these days as well. And so that was me growing up. And yeah, from then I guess I I did end up going over to uh, well ran a little bit of semi competitive stuff in high school. I didn't get too overboard with the track and yeah. the cross country but I, I did a few trail running events even back then yeah even so up to about 13 kilometers to talk about this because i also read that you were you participated in the junior mountain running championship races didn't you representing new zealand yeah yeah you're right that was like one of my last years at high school or secondary school and um i went over to switzerland um Grand montana i think i didn't do particularly well I think I might, might have got 21st in the junior field or around that and it was but it was an amazing opportunity to see to actually participate on the world stage because Jonathan Wyatt he actually he's a Kiwi and he very uh, renowned in the in the trial running space probably more internationally even than in New Zealand but he that was his sixth world championship win yeah, and it was just so awesome to be there because you know everyone was like, "Oh, yeah, the Kiwis," and like wanted to get our race kit and stuff and swap it out. But yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. For, That's like, amazing. You know, a do you, eighteen-year-old from Fakhtani. Do you know John Wyatt personally? Oh, I haven't. No, I haven't really. Like, I, I met him obviously on that trip, but I haven't really um, kept in touch. I haven't really been to Europe. Yeah, because I think he lives then. in Italy now, but. A Kiwi legend, icon of mountain running, and for our audience, yeah, Jonathan Wyatt, six-time world mountain running champion. I actually was emailing with him this week. I'm going to have him on the podcast here pretty soon. Oh, awesome! And yeah, we're we're talking about some other things because he's still heavily involved in the World Mountain Running Association, and I've never met him, never really interacted with him, but very much looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, very much an inspiration for me as well, even though I didn't grow up as a fellow countryman of him, but. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe pick up there, sort of like you were talking about how you weren't that competitive in high school, but it seems like you're sort of like the perfect mix between 
a high performance running athlete and then somebody who's also been raised in sort of an outdoorsy type family. You mentioned your experience with trail running early, the world mountain running championships, hunting even. So it feels like maybe your background and your talent has provided a really unique formula for performance on the trails. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, also having my my dad being in that professional environment and the the um, endurance sports as well. And, you know, I have, I wish I maybe I concentrated a little bit more even on the track and trying to get a bit, bit more speed back in high school. But I was like, oh, I want to run the trails. Like I'm, I'm actually winning more of these races and I'm pretty crap at running around the track, 400 meter tracks. So I'd rather actually do stuff that I'm better at. And maybe that did not, um, proved well for me when I went to, you know, over to, I went over to the States and studied at university and ran for Eastern Kentucky University. And my, I, I remember my first um, indoor track race, it was a 3000 meter. And I was like, okay, my coach was like, yeah, you're breaking nine minutes. I'd never broken nine minutes. I think my fastest 3000 meter time on the, we have 3000 meter outdoor track in New Zealand. And it was just on the grass. We just had a grass track in Whakatane. I think I'd run like nine minutes 30. And he's like, you're breaking nine minutes. And I didn't even break nine minutes in my first indoor race, which is pretty shameful being a collegiate athlete and not, Oh, I don't want to say that, you know, everyone's got their own thing. But for me, I was pretty like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to go here. <laughs> but yeah, in the end, I did get my 3,000 meter time down a bit, but it was nothing special. So, you know, I I, I did. I tried my best in, at university. I never had probably the, the speed that other people have. And that's that's probably shown throughout my career anyway. You just tick away like a diesel engine and um yeah, no, get through uh, through races and finish strong, really consistently. Even in my in my marathons that I've later picked up, but yeah, that's just how how I've developed. And yeah, I guess my you know the, the muscle development. I've got a few slow twitch muscle fibers, and they've obviously worked all right from the yeah. ultra space. But yeah, so Eastern Kentucky. It reminds me that fellow champion Kiwi Ruth Croft came over and ran at the University of Portland in Oregon in the U.S. But Eastern Kentucky feels like a pretty obscure place to end up when you're an American. It makes me highly curious as to how you ended up there and what your experience was like competing at that university. Yeah, so the reason I got there, I'm trying to remember back. Well, we did have a a family friend who taught at um, George Mason, um, on the she was a coach of the women's team actually and um yeah she got in touch with the eastern kentucky coach for me and you know said this guy's got a little bit of potential <laughs> like he's run mountain running champs which i guess doesn't really cross over too much but yeah maybe a bit of potential that i did get sixth in the new zealand secondary school cross-country race uh, in my last year of high school so you know there's potential there he might be able to do it right um and yeah thankfully because it was an awesome experience even you know i'm not i don't I'm not saying anything bad about kentucky but as you say it's a bit out there and probably not the most um recognizable school or probably place in america but yeah went over there and um had an awesome team and they're, they are a team that kind of heavily recruited international athletes so mm-hmm. The, the makeup of the team was like Kenyans, um, 
we had a lot of Europeans. There was another Aussie guy and myself as a Kiwi. And then we um, we might have had like a few, uh, three or four Americans as well. Uh, wow. Maybe a couple of us. Yeah, so it was, it was primarily international, but we all got on so well and it really just made the team right. It doesn't really matter where where you are. Okay, the training ground's definitely <laughs> probably not the same as some of the trails in Northern California. And yeah, we had a, like a one mile woodchip trail, which coming from New Zealand, where you know the backyard is hills and trails and bush, it was a lot, a lot different. It was a lot, a lot harder probably to get motivated to do the longer stuff. Yeah. And so, I it was kind of the first time that I really had a coach. And yeah, I was just basically going in not really knowing too much and just going out and doing what I was told, getting around that wood chip trail, getting around the grass loop and <laughs> it kind of just went from there. What a fun adventure when you're in your teenage years. It makes me want to ask, you know, obviously there aren't, there aren't a lot of champion level Kiwi runners on the trail scene. Obviously Ruth Croft has really ascended to being one of the greatest of my generation for sure. And I'm sure she's, I'm not sure if you have a personal relationship with her, but I'm sure there's been, she's inspired you and many other Kiwi trail and mountain running athletes. Are there some things that you've observed about how Ruth has, um, you know, executed her career or carried herself in the sport more generally that have inspired you? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there are a couple um, other good, you know, the Kiwi guys, Scotty Hawker and Sam McCutcheon, who yep. has also competed internationally as well. Um, and they're absolutely awesome dudes. But yeah, I guess Ruth's performance. So I first met Ruth when I went to a Chinese random 100K race. Like when I say random, like it was in the middle of nowhere. Like I think it was in a place called Jiangyi, the Rainbow Mountains, and that's where I first met Ruth. She was like, come, o- she had come over to do that race. I think because the only reason I was there is because it's about three or four thousand dollars up for grabs. And I was like, dang, what an opportunity to make a bit of cash and have a, have a bit of fun running in my first. I thought it was my first hundred k actually. Yeah, it was my first hundred k, and that's where I met Ruth. And yeah, I think I can't remember how she got on that day, but I was like stoked. I got second. I was like, oh, I made like. Two thousand bucks. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> was that that was probably when and she like, was living in Taiwan, right? It, yeah, yeah, I think it was actually. So it wouldn't have been too much for a trip for her. Yeah. I'd made some like round trip. I was over in the states at the time. Uh, my my parents um, rushed a visa for me. I had to send my passport back to New Zealand. They rushed the visa, sent it back to the States. And then I flew on from there. It was real dodgy business, but I managed to get over to China and got this, um, got this Chinese race done. It was at real high, it went up to real high altitude as well. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't even done much altitude training before. I'd, I was in Portland, Oregon at the time. And so I'd, I went and ran, ran around Mount Hood, uh, tried to spend like five days at altitude and I thought I'd got my altitude training in. So yeah, that's, that's about my experience. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. So, I mean, when Ruth came on the podcast, she was talking about tall poppy syndrome, which was sort of the idea that it's about doing the work and about performing on the course, not about, you know, self-promotion and marketing. And it's quite refreshing. I think her approach in especially today's environment. I'm wondering if that's like a, a Kiwi thing where you raised with similar values in that way, or is this uh, something that's unique to her? Yeah, I think you definitely see that in Ruth. Like 
I have met her a few times now and she's just so low key and so down to earth. Anyone can have a conversation with her. She's just an amazing person anyway, let alone, you know, goes out and crushes the trail. And it's all, you know, it's great that she's now received the recognition she deserves for her amazing achievements. Um, and it is, it is, it is a Kiwi thing, I, I think. I've actually had a good chat around it with Hayden, Hayden Hawks as well. And it's just one of those things where we're kind of taught to be very, I guess, humble or like, you know, humility is a good thing. But also, I think that Kiwis sometimes find it hard to um, accept compliments and, and all that kind of care on. Like, oh, yeah, it was all right. But you really, yeah, I've kind of started to go the other way now. Like, you really actually do have to say, yeah, oh, thank you. It was a good performance and there's definitely that push that New Zealanders should try and get away a little bit from that tall poppy syndrome because then you'll never really um you know accept the accomplishments sure such. yeah well, even though you, even though you do in your head you know it's not it, it's a bit different when you're like oh yeah it was all right no it was good it was <laughs> bloody amazing you know heck yeah no it's cool and I think you know obviously New Zealanders Kiwis are are known for being just like you know some of the friendliest people on earth but it also makes some fantastic athletes and I think both you and Ruth and Scotty and Sam are all great representatives of your home country and the trail scene you you mentioned Hayden, and it makes me want to talk about your guys's relationship. And before we get to it, I want to read a couple of messages that he texted to me after the race because I think the audience will, will really love this. So it's two two messages. I'm going to read them back to back. What he says is, "You got to get Dan on the podcast, bro. Incredible guy, cool story, and he just crushed Terawera. His time was incredible on that course. It was." I was really fit and he dropped me. Even with the course changes, he would have demolished Tom's course record. I project it would have been 15 minutes under it. He deserves it too. Works so hard and needs to find some support. This could really help him. Kiwi legend down here. Just getting into the longer stuff and he's really good. He's won Kepler like five times in every marathon that you can think of down here. And I responded, we're, we're recording a podcast on Monday. <laughs> and like, you know, congratulated <laughs> him on, on his run. So I wanted to just sort of open up the conversation there. I mean, number one, just maybe like give the audience an idea of your relationship to Hayden and what it's like to receive compliments like that from, you know, one of the world's best. Oh, it just about makes me emotional, mate. Um, no, I, I better give a bit of a background to how I met Hayden then. And I, I'm not sure if you know already, but basically I was... Um, I was all geared up um, to race Canyon, the, the Canyons last year, the 100K um, for the gold. Like, it was my primary goal was to to go over there and win a golden ticket. And I went over to the states, having done huge tra a huge training block. It was I think probably ended up too big because the reason I was going there was because Tarawera, the 100K got cancelled last year, and their tickets actually got moved over to, I think, split between two races. I, I know it's Canyons and one other race. I forgot what one. But um, anyway, I went over to Canyons focusing on getting this golden ticket. And after a massive build, it just didn't happen for me. I don't know what happened on the day. I went out hard with um, the guys, David, um, Adam Peterman, and... Um, one other guy, the guy that got third, um, I forgot his name, but 
Rod Farvard, yeah, I think it was, who got third last year. But anyway, there was a whole train of you guys last year in Kenya. <laughs> and it's yeah, funny, yeah, yeah. I, I meant to mention this earlier, Dan, but like I've received so many messages from Aussies and Kiwis hyping you up. And so when, <laughs> when Terrawera got canceled, they were like, watch out for Daniel Jones. He's coming to America. He's running Canyons 100K. And so, you know, I was at least, uh, you were on my radar, but I think, you know, uh, you, you, know you, you can say for yourself, but it seems like... It was a somewhat disappointing performance. I think you ended up 10th. It was a great learning experience in a super deep field. But yeah, anyway, keep going with uh, where you were going with the Hayden Hawk story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I blew up. I blew up bad. Finished 10th, and I was pretty down about it. Um, as you are after a race, I mean, you know, you don't achieve your goals or not didn't hit the performance that I wanted to hit, especially. Um, and yeah, so Hayden reached out to me. I was just kicking kicking the legs up by a pool, I think, in Las Vegas. Um, I was like, this is a great way to relax. Go. Um, I, I didn't gamble too much. I might, might have thrown a few dollars away in, in the pokey machine, or what we call pokey, the slot machines. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know, after a couple of beers, and then Hayden reached out. Hayden reached out to me and he said, Oh, mate, I'm just down the road here in Cedar City. Um, do you want to come up and you know come hang out and we can do a little bit of training and host the the Kenyans race? I was like, oh no, book tickets um, at the end of June <laughs> after Western States. I mean, this is how much I'd planned to get to Western States. Yeah, yeah. It was ages away. So I was looking around for another race to do, and I found Lake Sonoma 100K, and I was like, oh sweet. Oh, there's an automatic um qualifier to Western States for the following year. Why don't I like try and you know, stamp stamp my ticket early and and get it get in there. So I was like, oh, well, sweet. And so then when Hayden reached, I was like, okay, this is a perfect little um, recovery. Then building block into Lake Sonoma. It was only a month later, yeah. another hundred k month later. So yeah, that's where I met Hayden. I went over. He invited me into his family. You know, Ashley, kids, Crosby and Harbour. They were like just living with them in their house. Like I had a little bed bed downstairs a bedroom downstairs my own bedroom and we went out he showed me like zion national uh, design canyon bryce canyon i was just doing all his different training grounds and we would we, we just ended up training so well together like you know we'd be able to push each other in the workouts with similar leg speed but also in the longer stuff when I was, he was just an absolute weapon on the hills and he would push me like, say, come on, you can run this whole, get out of the sign, can you just run the whole thing? I'm like, bro, I need a power walk this. I'm not used to these kinds of just continuous hills. <laughs> and it was hot, at, very, very hot. And um, yeah, it was unbelievable, like the kindness he, he should, kind of showed and like just... It just shows what how he is as a person, like how he just reached out to you with those kind of kind words after yeah. Tata Um, He just showed me, taught me so much and, yeah, he's really motivated me to actually, you know, chase this. I was going to do it anyway, but, like, you know, give me a lot of confidence that, bro, your um, training is going so well. You you can really mix it up here with yeah. um, the big boys and Tata Weta and then on to Western States. Yeah, so maybe meditate on the character of the message too, because I think it's reflective of trail culture in that he was probably your biggest competition at Tarawera last weekend. And of course, you got the better of him on the race course, and he still graciously celebrated your victory by proactively reaching out to me saying, you got to get Dan on the podcast. I mean, that's, I think, emblematic of not only of who he is, but of the greater energy in trail running 
specifically. So I don't know, because you're somewhat newer to this like high level international trail circuit, are you finding yourself at home in this environment? And does the community vibes that are, you know, exemplified in Hayden Hawks's personality and in his behaviors, or is that something that speaks to you? Yeah, yeah. And I will say not only that, but we've been training, we're training together about a month before this race as well. So, you know, our, our big target race, you know, right now was Tatawida and we were training together and just trying to get the most out of each other in our training. So, but 100% what you're saying, like it's just that trail running culture. It's it just seems to be like it's a it's a family kind of environment. Like you just get that vibe when you you, you show up at um in training beforehand. We we trained with um, Zach Miller as well. We we did a section of the course all us three, and then Maj from um from Aussie Maj. He, he came out and did a bit of filming. Dear for us. friend of mine, so good. Yeah. Oh, he's an he's an awesome dude as well. And yeah, you know, we're just like chilling and having a good time running through like rivers up to our ankles on course on the trail because that's how wet it was before the race and yeah just it just shows i've got a actually a good example was last year i was when i was still over in the states i went over to boulder staying with a mate with a mate and i was oh, i can't remember what i was doing i was out tr- doing a bit of a trail run out near the flat irons and this old couple they must have seen me running around a bit and said just stop for a, oh no oh, they were walking up a hill and i was running up next to them we stopped for a chat just randomly i was oh i'll have a chat with these people and they said oh my son's out gonna do this trail race over in the states over in um forgot where it was california somewhere it was actually quite a big one they're like oh it's awesome to see you know internationals coming over like they were obviously trail runners and walkers themselves and they said you know if, if at any time you're in boulder just reach out to us you're we'll follow you on instagram just reach out and you can come stay with us and it's like well does everyone in america like invite you to stay <laughs> over with you? it's so cool to see amazing yeah, it's, it's awesome trail yeah, culture so bro so another thing another thing right. that you just mentioned that we need to we need to clarify is uh i you know i'm on the board of the western states 100 and the race director craig thornley and i were texting after tarawera because uh, he wasn't quite sure if you were there specifically to punch your golden ticket to Western States. I said, no doubt he's going to accept his ticket. And then he said, oh yeah, this is Daniel Jones, the guy who came to Lake Sonoma <laughs> thinking it was a golden ticket race. So, yeah. you know, bring that story full circle and how you learned that it wasn't actually a golden ticket race and that you were going to have to earn your way into the 2023 <laughs> Western States 100. Yeah, well, that's that's just another part of the whole journey and story, isn't it? Um, so after an amazing training block with Hayden over in um, Cedar City, I then moved on to, yeah, as you say, Boulder, and that's where the, another like really nice um, bout of training um, went. I stayed with a mate from Eastern Kentucky, Sean Van der Mosten, and he, he does a bit of running himself. I was going out for some you know, easy trails and some some runs as well with him real good dude just stayed with him for a bit and then moved yeah went on to my target race so this was my target race at lake sonoma the 100k and i went in there with the hope of getting a golden ticket for 2023 <laughs> to western states and it's I, I had no idea you know i went to the rego registration um we did my shakeout run on the friday before and i, I stayed like an hour away right because it was pretty expensive so i just booked some um some airbnb uh, was I can't uh, rose rose something or other 
Santa Rosa, probably Santa Rosa. Yeah, Santa Rosa. That was it. That was it. It was an hour away from from the race start, and it was like in some shared accommodation with us, like a dog barking all night. Well, don't get me started, but that's just (laughs) that was sweet. I (laughs) I got to the race morning feeling good, ready to roll. Like I'd done an awesome block with Hayden and out in Boulder as well. And so I got I got I got rolling. I was just feeling good pretty much the whole race. Maybe not quite as good as what I did at Tadawita, but I had a pretty well rounded race, especially after the disappointment of Canyons. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah, I didn't have a sport crew, you know, I I just had drop bags and I was just making my way, just doing my thing on the course and ended up having a really nice time out there. And again, the the crowd support, the people at aid stations just amazing. Like do anything they can to help you and very supportive for like an international athlete and i came through i finished in a time of 8 59 59 so that was just another bonus just scraping under nine nine. hours for for the 100k and you know there's a fairly decent amount of vert in that race as well from what i remember (laughs) i definitely remember a lot of hills yeah um so for crossing the finish i was just like stoked like pumped like yeah i got it yes yes like completed a good good goal there and I was sitting around like having a drink at the finish line, a burrito. They gave us burritos at the finish line there, which is a bit different and really appreciative of that after, you know, smashing gels and California, bro. And stuff. That's, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's religion here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> loved it. Loved it. Um, and yeah, just waiting around for this golden ticket to show up. I wonder where they do this kind of ceremony. <laughs> and then, yeah, I, I think I asked someone what was going on and like, oh no, that's just an automatic entry into the lottery so you get a ticket it's a qualifier like, not a golden ticket yeah, right my, my face just must have dropped that i was just like no way oh my gosh um, what can i say about that there was definitely a lot of um a lot of disappointment like on hearing that and then i had to just get over it like you know that's just how it was and i still put together a really awesome race and the race itself was just amazing like yeah. there's such cool trails and, and i know that race has been really really big and popular in previous years as well being the was it the 15 mile the 80 yeah the, the 50 race. miler used to be a golden trick golden ticket race before they increased the requirement to 100k to be the qualifier and so yeah right. um it's no longer a golden ticket race but it's a very important event here in north america specifically in northern california yeah. Anyway, yeah, so. it's it's a funny story, and I can totally understand the confusion and uh, the disappointment, and it probably makes the fact that you successfully secured your golden ticket all the more satisfying last weekend at Tarawera on home soil. But we're gonna get to that yeah. now. So, I just want to say, I just want to say that that's all on me as well. It's just because I didn't really understand the system. Of course, and yeah. It was like I didn't really understand around the, the lottery side of things, I suppose. Then that was a automatic entry, and the golden ticket is the absolute automatic entry. Fantastic. Well, we're we're so excited to have you back in Northern California, Western States, here in a few months. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Best Day Brewing. Dry January is over, but your boy is staying disciplined with his alcohol consumption or lack thereof. Not exaggerating, this is one of the biggest focuses of my life right now 
reduce my overall alcohol intake as a dad, as an athlete, as a small business owner. Every day is just filled to the brim with important responsibilities that deserve and require my full attention. And I have noticed that I just do not operate with the same focus or with the same energy when I'm drinking, even just one or two nights a week. I have to say also my mood and attitude are so much worse when I'm on the booze also. As such, I've been making a huge effort to reduce my consumption and my goodness do I feel so much better. And that's where Best Day Brewing comes in. I can still enjoy the ritual of a cold beer without the alcohol that so compromises my performance both on and off the trails. Best Day is brewed for doers like you and me. I'm sure there are many listeners who find themselves in the same position as me. You don't have to fully abstain, but let's hold each other accountable to reduce our alcohol intake in 2023. Visit bestdaybrewing.com and enjoy their selection of delicious craft brews and have your best day yet. Bestdaybrewing.com. Tell them Free Trail sent you. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by the Gnarly Nutrition Baseline Series. You may be wondering, is iron supplementation for you? Iron is essential for oxygen transportation in your body. Endurance athletes, women, and plant-based athletes are particularly vulnerable to iron deficiencies. And Gnarly Nutrition makes hitting your baseline iron needs easy with the Gnarly Baseline Iron Plus. More than your typical iron supplement, Gnarly's Iron Plus has blood-boosting nutrients like vitamin B12, folate and vitamin C for improved iron absorption. Similarly, vitamin D is known for its role in bone health, immune and muscle function, and inflammatory response. But lifestyle factors like decreased sunlight in winter months make vitamin D deficiency a worldwide issue, something I recently learned. Gnarly Baseline D3 is a natural plant-based vitamin, a simple vegan-friendly product that will ensure you're training on a solid foundation. To check out the Iron Plus and the Gnarly Vitamin D3, visit gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. So let's start getting around to talking about the race this weekend. And thanks so much for entertaining me with so much of your background. It's really a fun story. Maybe before we get to the race itself, let's talk about your training because I, I just followed you on Strava and was sort of looking through your build into the 102K at Tarawera last weekend. And it seems like you're a volume dude, like you put in a lot of work. So maybe just give the audience a glimpse into your training philosophy, whether or not you have a coach and any of the specific details of your build towards Tarawera. Yeah, so I guess... Looking back, I have I've kind of crossed over from the marathon running um, over the past couple of years. So I have at the end of the last year actually, I raced Auckland Marathon and had a very good showing there. And then three weeks later, I raced Queenstown Marathon, a beautiful scenic, but bit of a half trail type marathon, and had a good showing there. And then <clears throat> two weeks later was um, Kepler Challenge, which is a 60-kilometer kind of premier, premier um, trail run ultramarathon in New Zealand. And that was, yeah, I had a, yeah another great race. So that was all in the space of five weeks leading up to December. December, the yeah first week in December, whatever it was, fifth or so. And then after that, I definitely needed a recovery because that's a lot of big racing and fast 
like high impact racing in the space of five weeks, right? So I did have a couple of weeks, like one week completely off and then one recovery week. And then I was like, no, nah, now, now's the time to really start that build. So it wasn't a super long build. It was only about eight weeks, but I already had like a lot of miles and fast miles in the legs. So after that, it was more like, okay, I've just got to increase the um, the mileage. I don't need, even need to do too many um, faster workouts, which I usually do incorporate into my tr- into my training, like the longer threshold type workouts or marathon, more even marathon pace workouts, which I think cross over very well for the ultra. And so, because I yeah done that, I was like, let's just get out and do some big big miles, big missions, and and that's what I did over the over the summer months. So my I quite like to crack up to about two hundred kilometers per week, and then just go from there. So. I think I ended up getting about six or seven weeks of that 200k weeks, and when I say 200k, I think it's about 140-ish miles, right? So yeah. around that. That's big volume, man. So maybe talk about the pairing of that acute load of racing and then transitioning into a volume phase. Obviously, it paid off. Like, you think that's a strategy that maybe would be intelligent to employ? in other applications further down the road in your career? I know it's hard to sort of plan those things out, but it seems like it was a great formula for success. Yeah, and I think if, if it didn't work out with those races, then I would just put in another like long um, marathon pace workout in yeah. once a week. And I was doing that anyway towards, you know, when I recovered and start rebuilt that base really well, I was putting in one really strong workout in um per week just for instance um one of the ones i did Hayden was a 20 minute tempo onto four times five minutes and then 20 minute tempo to finish so you're getting about one hour worth of really solid work all at around marathon pace they slightly slower than marathon pace but um, you certainly feel it especially when you pair that with say a long run the next day and you're just kind of getting the body used to running running kind of long on tired legs when you do that as well so it, it all kind of pays off and that's it, it's not hard. for me i don't think it's that hard to to build up to okay it is hard but when you when you get to 200k weeks it doesn't actually feel that that difficult because you're doing a couple double days a week anyway so you do a recovery run and then you've got that kind of long hard training session which might mainly be on the flat or undulations, mm-hmm. and then you know straight away that's a 30k session and then you've got your long runs on top of that and i do love a long run i'm not opposed to getting out and running you know 40 or 50k i think i even ran 162k in my build-up <clears throat> or albeit it was uh, not super high elevation gain in that in that long run so i think i pretty much like got a really nice mix and of all the different you know training stimulus do you have a coach um, not at the moment, no. Uh, I, I, um, a bit of a mentor and real good mate from from Wellington, running mate from Wellington. He helped me towards Auckland Marathon, and mm-hmm. then I just feel like it's it would be kind of have been hard to have a coach when I was running from like going Auckland to Queenstown three weeks yeah, later yeah. to Kempis two weeks after that. No coach. Coach would say, "Hey, Dan, me. you're being stupid, buddy." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome, man. So so cool to get a glimpse into your training. I also read in one of the articles that was published after Terrawera and your victory there that you made a specific psychological choice not to look ahead towards Western states, which struck me as a mature mindset conducive to ultimately achieving your goal. Can you expand on that mental orientation leading into the race? 
Yeah, definitely. And I think so. What really stemmed this, and I've been, I probably was thinking about it a little bit beforehand, but an athlete that I coached lended me a book. I, I might have to flick you through the, the name of the book. I can't remember the title right now, but it was like a book on psychology. <clears throat> and yeah, one of the big learnings or that I that I took from that book is you know you have to stay you you've got your goal and you've got to really concentrate on that goal and then and don't look too far past that right it's like if you look too far at already at the next goal without concentrating on what's ahead of you then you're going to lose focus and it's probably not going to go to plan and I just you know the, that was one of the learnings that I took from going over to Canyons next. Uh, the previous year in 2022 i i'd gone on to canyons i'd already booked my flight tickets to return after western states i was confident like okay you've got to be confident anyway but i was maybe like looking too far ahead at um at what was already maybe a foregone conclusion which of course it wasn't and and i didn't think so either it was just that i just wanted to work it out like that so I, of course, I fully respected the, the athletes in the competition that I was going up against. It's just one of those things that that's how I played it out and just come to look back on it and think, well, I'm not going to do the same thing for Tarawera. I'm going to like concentrate. It's, this is my main goal. I'm, I've got an awesome amount of international competition coming here for this race. Let's just go out there and really concentrate. And even during the race itself, you know, I really feel like it's important to not be like you get the 60k and you're like, oh, I've still got a marathon to go. Or yeah. like, no, no, you're just like you're in there. You think, okay, where's the next aid station? Let's just get to there. Let's just get to there. Let's just get to there. And then by the time you know it, you know you're seeing your your friends and family at Lake Tikitapu, and there's home stretch from, from there. there. About, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, you say it's only 25k, but it's still 20 or 25k to go yeah. and it's still a fair while so anything can happen so but yeah as i say even when i got to 25k you got to don't don't think about the finish line or that golden ticket just yet you just got to keep concentrating on where you're at in the race yeah it's such a good lesson man so t- talk us through how the race played out obviously you and hayden were training buddies leading into it and also it was pretty clear at least from keen observers that you were the two favorites going into the race and it seems like you spent a good amount of time out there together give us the condensed version of the race report yeah i'd love to um so starting out it it went off um relatively conservative i would say hayden and myself just sat in, sat in the front bunch and didn't try and push the pace and it did feel like that on the way up it wasn't like the pace was going too fast on the outfield um we got to the top top trick so and when i say that it's just the first part of the race the first 30k was the most technical and heavy section so just explain a bit around that part and then i guess 5k in we got to the top of the first hill and that's when uh, a couple of the other guys, well, I took the lead because I was like, I want to push the pace a little bit faster. But then a couple of the other guys, Sam McCutcheon and Guy um, Rett from Australia, they came past me, like just wanted to hit the downhills a bit faster, maybe make a bit of a gap and really assert a bit of dominance on the field or um, just push the pace again themselves. So kudos to them for doing that. Probably like split the, the front group up a little bit. And I kind of just had a word to hate. I was like, oh, I feel like we're going pretty well. Um, or he, he said, yeah, we don't like need to smash our legs on the downhill. So I feel like this is a good pace as well. And so I thought oh, that gave me a bit of reassurance as well. So 
chill out at this pace and it was still like looking at your watch it's like oh that's still a good three minute 40k this is probably faster than what we're doing later on in the race anyway so i've no qualms about going this effort Mm -hmm. and yeah so at the end of that section of trail it's about 15 20k we already um we already had about a group of three or four of us and sam mccutcheon was uh slightly ahead he had really made use good use of the downhills and felt comfortable about pushing the pace early on and yeah I think it was Hayden uh, myself and Michael Voss uh, we we ended up um, in the next three positions and Michael Voss is another strong Kiwi really good half marathon marathon runner mm. so we're definitely um, watching for him because he's got some awesome times behind him as well cool um, yeah and so but from then we just really just ran our race to be honest we caught up to Sam after Lake Tikitapu, Blue Lake and that was at about 35k 30k and yeah from then we just really just we're just pushing about four minute pace so I think that's around um, six minute is that six minute miles uh, it's been a while since I've been in university yeah, I'm so not, just, not yeah. sure uh, but I know you guys were running fast so six minute pace yeah, probably yeah, yeah. sounds you accurate can, on that course people too can have a look on Hayden's yeah people can look on our Strava and probably check it out anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah so from then we just you know we exited the trail section at about 40k 45k and then yeah we just got rolling again on the flat and we were just it was just us two together by that stage yeah. and so we were just you know making sure that the race was going at a good effort but not at an effort where we felt like we couldn't sustain it because that was also an important thing for me because I felt like really comfortable where I was at but there's always that thing in the back of the mind like okay you blew up at 70k hey, yeah. maybe maybe this is not good sports psychology but you are being I, I did have it in the back of the mind like I did blow up at 70k at canyons and I felt like the race was going a lot smoother like I just felt strong anyway here in Tarawera so I didn't think it was going to happen but it's always at the back of the mind um, and so yeah we just ran along at the, what we thought was the sustainable effort and I needed to go for a couple of toilet stops. Hayden, I think I managed to catch up back up to Hayden after I did so at about 60k in the Redwoods. And then from there, I think yeah, the band just stretched. Yeah, so I didn't really notice. Oh, you never really noticed. So yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like where the separation happened, what you think led to you being stronger in that moment and what the mindset was like at that point, because obviously we were just talking about racing in the moment, not thinking ahead to the finish line, not thinking ahead to the golden ticket. But at that point you're in the lead of a big international race on home turf, a proud Kiwi, and you're dropping one of the best athletes in the world and Hayden Hawk. So I'm sure that was not lost on you in the moment. Can you explain what it was like, you know, to like when that elastic was breaking? Yeah, and no, I, I definitely don't think it was, like I was. Con- I wasn't actually consciously concentrating on trying to drop Hayden at all. It yeah. wasn't like that. It was more like there's still a long way to go, and I just still felt quite comfortable even at 60k. And when when you're at 60k, I for me I felt like if I can just run this pace, I just got to hold this pace. So that's what I was doing. I was holding the pace, and I think he might have just slowed down by about 10 or 15 seconds uh, per mile. Yeah. Uh, if it, he he said that himself to me, like he didn't think I sped up. I didn't put in a conscious surge or anything. And he said that to me mm-hmm. himself. He thinks he just 
fell off that pace ever so slightly. And that's just what it took to slowly open up because I think he fell off, um, like, you know, lost touch slightly. And then I was only told I only had about two minutes at him at the Green Lake transition. And so and well, Green Lake. Because the course is different from when I ran it because of the weather that you guys mm-hmm. experienced in the weeks leading up to the race. So what kilometer about was it when the elastic did break between you and Hayden? That was probably about 65, uh, 70K-ish, yeah. Mm. Green Lake is about, yeah, just over oh, seven, around the 70K mark. And we had about 10, oh, no, we had about 13K, I think, to go until um, to Lake Tikitapu, which was our next supported yep. aid station. So at Blue Lake, they, oh, sorry, Green Lake, I've since found out I had about two minutes on Hayden. And so throughout that time, maybe five, 10K before Green Lake at that 70K mark, um, I was, yeah, I was probably just slowly opening it up and knowing that he had fallen off, but not consciously blowing like, oh, okay, he's gone out the back. I've got to really push now to open up that gap, which is, I think, that really, really helped me in the race because it did, it made me not stress. You know what I mean? Like it, sometimes when you actually get the gap, that's when you start stressing because you're like, oh, they might be coming back on me or, yeah. or I've got to open up that gap more so that I can, I've got that buffer for the finish. But I was like, nah, let's just, let's just keep chugging away and try and be as consistent as possible. And I think that's what led me getting to 70K to the 80K market at Lake Tikitapu with about, you know, 23-odd K to go. And I was actually feeling still quite in control. I wanted and to then, ask you, know, you about this spot in particular because yeah. Yeah. I watched some of the Instagram stories that were going up. I think it was either on the UTMB account or on the Tarawera account. And man, you looked so strong coming through Blue Lake the last time. And then they show Hayden coming through and he's getting an update from his crew as to where you are. And he says something to the effect of like, man, I'm feeling good. Dan's just like on a good one today. So did, did it feel to you like you were having a special day? And I mean, I think oftentimes when you've been an athlete for a long time, you sort of develop an intuition as to when you have it and when you don't. Did it feel like one of those special days to you? Yeah, it didn't feel particularly special earlier on. I think, as I was saying before, it takes me a while to get going. And going up the first hill, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, the legs just feel like like normal, even a normal a normal training. But then as the race went on, I was like, I'm, my legs aren't getting particularly painful. Like, sure, I'm running in, like, road shoes that my feet are getting a little bit sore when, it, when I hit the trail because they're not designed for this. But yeah, yeah. that was just my, um, that was my decision. Because they, you know, they went really well on the flatter sessions, on the more runnable sessions, and um, yeah, it, it, it was kind of one of those moments when I was coming through Lake Tiki Tapu. I saw my support crew, and I, I just come through strong right around the Green Lake to the Blue Lake, and I was like, "Wow, I'm just going to keep rolling through here to the finish." Like at this pace, I don't feel like this next hill is going to take it that much out of me that I'm going to have to slow down. So when I saw my support crew and they gave me, you know, a couple handhelds and like even chucked a bit of ice on me, and I was like, "Okay, let's go." Like I've been, I've actually been at this section of the race before because this is where we, um, this is where we ended our first little um, lap, if, if you know what I mean. Yep, like we were yep. actually coming back onto a section of course that we'd already run. Yeah, because they had so to reroute like, the course because of the all the moisture. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I knew exactly what was in front of me, and sometimes knowing that is a hard thing. But when you got twenty k to go and 
you're feeling good, then that's a good thing because you're just like, I know every single hill that's coming up and I've just got to try and smash this as best I can. Beautiful, man. So cool. Yeah. So so fast forward to the finish line. I mean, as somebody who's been to Tarawara a couple of times and got to experience the special, um, you know, just like cultural experience of getting the Haka as the champion of the race as a, as a Kiwi, what was it like for you to arrive at the finish line in first place and take home a victory at the country's most important trail ultra marathon? Yeah. And I'd like to hear your take on it as well, because like for me, it's super special. And I said it, I think after the race, what prize giving, like to have a Haka perform to you as a Kiwi is just like, so there's just, it's just so special because this may be a, a once in a lifetime opportunity or like something that happens to me, not an opportunity. It's just, it's just like an acceptance. It's like a gift. It's like, it's just really, really special for a Kiwi foot to have that to happen. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's, it's kind of just like, yeah, it made me super stoked just to be a Kiwi and just to have that, have that kind of feeling on the finish line as well. Like it just made it all the more special for me because I don't, I think you go and win a, a race somewhere around the world. I don't know. Every, every different places has has the unique, you know, cultural experiences or maybe celebrations. for those who don't know, maybe explain what what the haka is so you can set the context a little bit more. Oh, so the haka is like a, a cultural, like a, a the dance, like a a Maori, like a dance or um, performance, not a dance, like a performance that they do. Is like a to show the challenge beforehand. And even at the race, um, at the race start line, there's a haka performed to all the athletes. And it's like doing the hackers, like you've got this big test ahead of you. This is the challenge. It's like to show fear and like you've got all the, the, the Maori guys and the women like dressed up in their, um, in their attire. And it's just like, you have to be there to really get that feeling of adrenaline that starts rushing through you. And, you know, this challenge is then accepted by all the athletes, you know, going through the course. And, you know, the big thing is you've got to show, you've got to show um, courage. You've got to be, you've got to be courageous. You've got to be like show mana, like you've got to have a big heart. Um, like to get around because you know you're going to go into some dark places so this is what's performed at the start line and it's yeah the big challenge for for all the athletes and so then when you, when I saw it at the finish line it's like you know that celebration that that um of of crushed the course of um you know I've had a great performance and it's like yeah big celebration of that so uh, yeah it was really amazing that's so cool man congratulations what a fantastic victory fantastic result and very convincing somewhat dominant victory there on that course and it is a shame that you didn't sort of get to run the traditional course so that we could measure your performance (laughs) more accurately against tom evans the great british champion who smashed that race also but man i mean you've clearly arrived and all the people who've been sending me messages over the last 18 months were validated in their endorsement of your skill and talent. And now you have an opportunity to make an even bigger name for yourself on the world's biggest stage. One of the world's biggest stages at Western States in a few months. So let's start winding down and look ahead towards 
what is, I'm sure, a huge, huge goal for you now, especially after disappointment at Canyons, confusion at Lake Sonoma 100K. <laughs> Give us uh, an idea of how you're going to structure your training in the months leading up in preparation and just more generally where your mindset's at with this massive goal in front of you. Yeah, it's, it's a great question because <laughs> it's certainly hard to to even um, comprehend running another 60K on top of, you know, 100K when, you know, you leave it all out there like that. But I think that's that's all part of it. And it's it's been awesome getting Hayden's take on, you know, the Western States. He's obviously a seasoned professional at the race and having his, like, you know, knowledge of the course and, um, you know, what, what actually needs to be done in training um, with the acclimation side of it, with getting your body used to the heat that I'm going to experience, the altitude, and the vert. Um, so all pretty pretty necessary things to get right. And I think, so for me, over the next couple of weeks, I'm, I'm getting my, my body right again. Then I'm going to start building a strength phase in, getting the aerobic base back um, just from after this little break. Um, going to the gym, doing I usually do a couple of gym sessions a week of like heavy lifting, like not heavy, well, it's all relative, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, squats, deadlifts, that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, just really do a probably a concentration on vert because that's the one area that I want to be strong at. I want to, um, you know, I want to climb, be climbing hills with the best of them. I want to make sure that the downhills don't take it too much out of the legs. Well, they're going to take it out of the legs, but you know what I mean? And yeah. then within maybe two months of the race itself, of Western States, I want to head over and actually, because we'll be actually going into winter in New Zealand, so we're losing the heat and I need to make sure that my body's, um, you know, st staying adaptive and and gets used to that heat again because the the heat over in the states as well especially at western states is a dry heat well in new zealand it's a lot more humid mm -hmm. and we don't actually have the same temperatures that that you get over there as well yeah so you'll plan to come over what late april early may yeah i think it's probably looking like may hopefully sometime i've still got to you know make all the arrangements with work and yeah. um, all that stuff so time to start planning um, bro and time to start planning yeah yeah head over to boulder hopefully getting some more training with, with the guys and yeah. hayden and i think well scotty hawk is going over to to boulder as well and then over to the to the race course so it's it's all yeah i can't wait hey. it's it's just Hell yeah. It's really nice to have that to look forward to after a race as well, because sometimes when you finish your race, it's like, oh, what do I do now? But I know exactly what I got to do yeah. now. So in the US, we celebrate a, uh, a holiday called Memorial Day, and they do a fun training camp for three days on the Western States course. That's going to be at the end of May. So put that on your calendar, because that'll be not only a fun way to see a lot of the course and do the reconnaissance that will set you up for success. But also it's a fantastic, friendly trail culture type environment where you'll get <laughs> to interact not only with your competition, but, but also with the people who are in the middle in the back of the pack. But we're super excited to have you at Western States this year. I think you're going to add a really interesting element to the professional men's field, which is shaping up to be absolutely wild so i can't wait to watch as a fan and as a uh commentator during the course of the race uh at the last weekend in june so in closing dan i've got a couple sort of fun questions that i would love for you to answer just to 
give a, a deeper understanding into your personal character. The first one is, who is one person in the world that you admire? It can be inside of sport or outside. And why is it that you admire that person? Uh, I think you're probably going to know who it is after the um, recommendation email that he sent to you after Tatawita, right? So, I mean, Hayden's just an awesome dude just to invite me in, you know, to his family and we've actually become, you know, really good mates since then. He, you know, went out fishing yesterday. He hopefully get up for a fish tomorrow on the boat and, um, yeah, just, you know, having an awesome race against someone where, we both said we had some good performances. Um, you know, we're competitive. We, we want to win, but then finishing up, being able to train together and then do some recreational activities and have, have a good time is, is super important as well. So he's an absolute legend and really appreciate his friendship. Fantastic. Final question for you before we let you go. What is one truth that you've learned about yourself or about life in general through your experience as an athlete? One truth, I probably should have thought about this one a bit harder. It's a good question. Um, One truth is like you learn a lot about yourself out in the trail running space and not not just the trail running space, but, you know, the outdoor space. When when you're left alone with your own thoughts, I'd highly recommend anyone that's listening um, and most people probably that are listening are probably quite into the trail running anyway, but yeah, just when you are feeling like you need to get out um, away from it all, then go to the outdoors, go hit a trail, um, go do a bit of self-reflection and that's probably, you're going to probably come back a lot happier and a lot at ease than when you, when you left. Deep truth. Daniel Jones, thanks for coming on the podcast. Congratulations at Tarawera. We'll see you at Western States. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Big thanks to Dan. Hope you guys enjoyed. Again, go follow Dan on Instagram and Strava. Follow his build towards the Western States 100, where I am convinced he is going to be a big factor in the race and a very cool storyline leading into America's most important event, Free Trail Pro members. Let's keep the conversation going in Slack. What'd you think about Dan? Drop your feedback in the Free Trail Podcast Slack channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Speedland, runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the GS Tam, the beautiful orange shoe. Gnarly nutrition, go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order of these great nutrition supplements. Best Day Brewing, bestdaybrewing.com. Use code DRY20 for 20% off these dank non-alcoholic beers. If you need some guidance in your trail journey, check out Free Trail Experts, where we've enlisted some great coaches and specialists to help you take your game to the next level, make your experience in the sport even more fun, enjoyable, and successful. Link in the show notes. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Love you dearly. Bye-bye.